You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. Verse 5. It says, And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. And so here's this group of men and collectively they are grieving because of their sons and daughters being taken and they're looking for someone to blame. Who always gets blamed when things go bad? It's the leader. (laughs) The leader does. And so David's being blamed and they want to kill him. When you fraternize with the enemy, it will ultimately bring you distress and it will bring grief to yourself and to those around you. David's not exempt from the consequences of his own actions. But, here's the cool line for us, verse 6, it says, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So as bad as things were, his town burned, his kids gone, and his men want to stone him, and everybody's weeping until they have no power to weep anymore. The beauty of King David's heart is that when all seems lost and it's all his fault, instead of despairing and self-condemnation, he encourages himself in the Lord. He comes back to God and he leans on God's grace. And he says, like the psalmist in, in Psalms 42, 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And so when our world comes crashing in because of sin or simply as a consequence of living in a fallen world, perhaps God's putting us through the test like he did to Job and there's no sin at all in connection with what we're going through. Whatever the case may be, What would God have us to do? If there is sin, he'd have us to confess that sin. He'd have us to repent from it and to say, I'm no longer going to go down that path anymore. To remember, remember the good things that God has done and the grace that he has shown you in the past and others. And command your soul to hope in God and praise him. Amen? All right. Verse 7 now. Verse 7, it says, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. This is the first time in a year and a half that we hear of David actually wanting to acknowledge the Lord. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And everybody's waiting with bated breath. What are we going to do? 
How does God want us to respond to this terrible tragedy and what will be the outcome? And then it says, middle of verse 8, and he answered him, that's God answered David, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Woo! Man, when God says that, that's good news. But notice that David has a part in this. His part is to pursue. He's got to get geared up, grab his men, and go in heavy pursuit of the enemy. It's going to be tiring and taxing. And then when you finally catch up with them, you're going to have to fight against them. But he is trusting that God will give him the victory, that God will give him the strength and sustain him. And so he and his men pursue. So the burning of Ziklag and the abduction of his family turns David's heart away from the flesh. No longer is he in this place where he's not acknowledging God and listening to lies in his head, but he's back with the Lord. And after encouraging himself in the Lord, he begins to acknowledge God once again. God, what do you want? What do you say? What should I do, Lord, instead of listening to his own self-talk? And God actually will use this for good in David's life. How does God do this in our lives and in his? I don't know. That's what God ends up doing here, friends. And Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths or make them straight, make them smooth. The Lord's going to allow things to work out. And so God says, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail, recover all. Friends, you cannot fail when you're doing God's will. You cannot fail because it's all going to work out in the end. Verse 9. So David went, he and his 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued. He and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Bezor. And so David pursued with confidence in God and relied on, on God's strength and God's promise. And so he kept going, along with his other 400 men, when others could not, when they lost strength. Verse 11, Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake and figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. Now there's a pagan culture, right? Oh, you're sick? We're going to leave you behind, you know? And I think it was the Viking culture when their elderly would get sick. They would just leave them to die on the side. Maybe I'm thinking the Mongols or something. But anyway, one of those. 
And so a society that just begins to devalue life, we, we set aside the people that are an inconvenience or a burden to us. And it's really sad when a culture goes that way, and it's the flesh that wants to live for self and doesn't want to live for others. And so today we see this with abortion, and we also see this with elderly people who are discarded and neglected by their family. And so uh, we are called to do better than that, to be better than that, to be self-sacrificing and to be loving, even when it's an inconvenience to us because Jesus loved us and it wasn't convenient for him to love us in the way he did, was it? To die for our sins. He made great sacrifice, not just by dying, but leaving his station, his position in heaven to become a man and walk the earth. We will never fully understand the uh, magnitude of that sacrifice. I think even when we get to heaven, we're going to understand it eons better than we do now, but we will not fully understand. Incredible what God has done and his display of love for us. And so God wants us to be similar to him, like his children. We're to model him, model his character and step into inconvenience for the sake of love. And that's not how the Amalekites treated this Egyptian servant, but they just discarded him because he was sick. Verse 14, he goes on, he's telling them, uh, he's, the Egyptian is telling them what happened. And he says in verse 14, we made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? <laughs> Listen to his immediate response when the guy says, we burned Ziklag with fire. You're talking about my home and my family. Where are these people? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So the Amalekites were fleshing out. They were having a party because of all the spoil that they had gotten. Verse 17, then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. After marching all that way, so tired that 200 of his men couldn't even go on anymore. And then they find them and they're energized because it's their families. They're defending their families. You know that the army that's on the defense always has the, an advantage because they're defending their homeland and they're defending their families. Just ask the Ukrainians. If you're attacking a land, it's not your family, everybody's safe at home, and your life is on the line, you begin to ask, why am I doing this right now? And is it worth the cost? Am I really willing to die over here in this foreign land when it has no impact on what's happening back home? But man, your wives and your kids and your mothers and your fathers are at stake. You're going to fight fiercely. And so these guys are fighting fiercely even though they've marched and they fight all through the night and into the day until they have a total victory. 
It says, not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. That's how big the army was. But remember, these Amalekites are fleshing out, so they're all drunk. So David and his 400 men go in and just start, you know, doing business. My dad always said, son, you got to be brutal with the flesh. Brutal. Just like David was brutal and relentless when it came to these Amalekites. And this was what Saul was supposed to do. And this is what Samuel did when he hacked up Agag. We have to be brutal with the flesh and really go to war with the flesh and the cravings of the body that want to take over. I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy a meal, friends. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. And that every pleasure of the body is evil. I'm not saying be a monk and go whip yourself, you know, to please God. That's not pleasing to God. God has given us all things to enjoy. God made the food that we can enjoy. And, you know, he made the sexual relationship to be within the confines of, of a marriage between a man and a woman. And he made these things, and it's okay to enjoy, but, but there's boundaries to it. We don't glut ourselves, and, and we don't um, give ourselves over to sexual pleasures with this person, that person, and another, but we remain faithful and we live within the boundaries God's given us. All things in moderation, right? But we've got to be brutal with the flesh. Matthew 18, 8, Jesus puts it this way. He says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. And the point of what Jesus is saying is you've got to be brutal with the flesh. And if something is a temptation in your life, remove it from your life. If you can't keep yourself from looking at porn on the internet, give somebody else your password, maybe your spouse or a relative, or get rid of your computer if you have to. What? In this day and age? Whatever you have to do, be brutal with the flesh. And then as you separate yourself from that sin for a while and the passions and you get closer to the Lord, then you can have your computer back because you're not going to be clicking around anymore. You're going to have self-control, you see? And God grows you in that area. If you're a, a drunkard, if you can't keep yourself from alcohol or substances, don't go to the bar. Don't go to the liquor store. Things like that. Don't have it in your home. Cut it off. Cut it off. All right. So it says here, verse 18, So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all all. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. And so God restores everything, everything, and then some. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says there, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Hey, David, that year and a half you've walked away and the consequences even, God has forgiven you. You've come back to him. You're restored. He's restored your family. Your men love you again. It all worked out. And then it says, Behold, all things have become new. Again, baptism. Dying to self. Dying to the flesh. Buried with Christ. Coming up into newness of life. Being born again. Living for the Lord. Living for the Spirit. Letting the Spirit lead us rather than the flesh. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Hallelujah. He is able to do more than we can even think. And he wants to just dump truckloads of blessings on us, friends. If we'll just let him. If we won't push him away. If we'll trust him when times get rough and have faith he will see us through to the other side like he did for David. Verse 21, it says, Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. He's like, hey, it's good to see you guys. I got great news. But, verse 22, then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. So these men, some of them among David's men, were unmerciful, and they were greedy. They wanted to keep all the spoil for themselves. And there's always a few in the group, isn't there? Even Jesus had Judas. But, verse 23, David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day so that the people who went out to battle and the people who stayed back to watch the stuff shared in the spoils. You know, the fruit of the work of ministry is shared by the supporters. Now, perhaps you don't have the gifting or calling to go or to minister in a way that you would like, but you have the means to send and support others who do. And when you do that, you are sharing in their fruit. So we give to Pastor Saig and ministry to Muslims. And every time he and his team go to mosques and share the love of Jesus, with Islamic people or they go to an Arab festival and they share the love of Jesus or they go down to San Diego and they share Jesus with the refugees and people hear the gospel and by the grace of God would be saved 
we who give to that ministry share in the fruit. That's how God sees it, friends. Philippians 4.16, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Philippian church, and he says, For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. So because they were giving of their material resources to support Paul and his ministry, they receive fruit from their giving. And so, friends, we receive fruit as we enable others to go out and do what we cannot do. Now, verse 26, it says, Now, when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth of the south, those who were in Jatur, those who were in Aror, those who were in Shifmoth, those who were in Eshtemoah, those who were in Rachel, those who were in the cities of the Jeremelites, those who were in the cities of the Kenites, those who were in Horma, those who were in Korashan, those who were in Athach, those who were in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. And so the people who weren't tattletales on David, hey Saul, he's over here, but actually helped him and supported him that were there in the southern part of Israel, David rewarded them when he got this incredibly great spoil, and he sent gifts to all of them. And what is this doing? Well, this is positioning him for what's next, the crown, as they will ask him to be their king in the southern part of Israel. And so David was brought to ruin so that God could restore relationship. See, God always, he's not interested in squishing us like bugs. He's always interested in bringing us into close relationship with him, into restoring relationship with him. And so God takes David's ruin and uses it to restore relationship with himself. And notice how that's the first thing that happens. David encouraged himself in the Lord. He came back to God. And then God, once that happens, he restores his family. He restores his material wealth. He restores his relationship with his men. And he blesses all of David's friends and positions him to become the next king and takes what the devil intended for evil and turns it into good, even though it was David's fault to begin with, and that's our God, and that's the kind of relationship we have with him. It's incredible, God's grace, and how he does this with us when we're his kids. I found this blog on this topic by someone named Rachel uh, Wyndham. Some author, I never heard of her. No offense to you if you ever watch this. You've probably never heard of me either. And, uh, <laughs> But it's really good, so I, I wanted to read an excerpt of it. It says, sometimes we need our ziklag to burn. We need those places of compromise that have weakened our purpose and our joyful trust in God to be brought to waste. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we're trusting too much in things other than God. Sometimes we need a sneak attack 
to realize we've been exactly where the enemy wants us to be, captive in a sanctuary of our own choosing. Sometimes we need brokenness to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we can see we are not enough. We need Ziklag to burn because it restores our drive to move toward the God we've grown to love less fervently. We need it to remind us of what he's been to us and what he still longs to be in our lives. We need it because it brings us to our knees in surrender, in prayer, in seeking, in reverence, in worship. We need it because bowing down is the single way to rise up. We need it because restoration of real relationship with God is the only pathway to restoration with others. We need it because when we are whole in our walk with God, we carry a victory mindset into the battle and are strengthened to defeat the enemy. Sometimes a burning ziklag is our greatest blessing because it brings us low enough to be equipped to rise and rule. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.